Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, everybody. If you can start making your way back to your seat or section or grab a friend and take him with you if you like your seat more than theirs. Good morning, good morning. So glad that you guys are here. God bless you guys. I am not Ryan. Um, so if you haven't noticed yet, uh, I'm not Ryan, but my name is Shav. If I haven't met you before, good morning. Nice to meet you. I love you. Um, too much? Too, okay, by the end of this, you'll say it back, I promise. But just in case, my name is Shav. Good morning. Nice to meet you. I love you. Um, and I was, Thank you. See? I knew that. All right, good. So I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that some of our friends from Tribe are here as well. Whoop, whoop in the back row. I see y'all sneaking in. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're doing church together. We've done this a couple of times. I've done this a couple of times because uh, I moved in. Yeah, so you guys love us and we love you, and that's the thing. Um, and we're excited to continue um, the Advent series together, and uh, you guys took a different approach than us this year. We went the theme, and we'll still get into some of those, um, but I loved the invitation we have to step into the story in a different way. Love doing it. I also see a lot of pink out there, um, which is cool. I know maybe Ryan asked for it last week. I told him that I'm coming in like the Pink Panther, right? Um, but I came in. I see all the different shades of pink. I said pink, but make it Puerto Rican. Uh, so <laughs> went neon, right? So um, we're here, and I'm so excited that you guys are here. We've been, I've been listening. I've been following along. I've been hearing what Ryan's been speaking on for the last two weeks, um, and I'm excited about how I can contribute to not only what's been happening here, but also hopefully invite you into another dynamic of the story and kind of meld these two worlds together, our church, your church, our community, beautiful body of Christ. Love it. Um, so we're going to talk about the tradition, of course, and then we're going to talk about how we're stepping into one of the, our oldest stories in our tradition, but also one of the most like familiar and accidentally observed by everybody. Um, Jackie was talking about how theologically sound most Christmas music is. It always trips me out. All the people are like, don't push your faith on me. Favorite song ever, Silent Night. You know, it's like, it's like this idea of like, I will carol, but I will not go to church, right? So um, it's like the most accidentally uh, familiar and observed um, tradition that we may have or season. I mean, as I know many of you guys know, we've been talking about, and you've been talking about, the Advent season literally means the birth or the dawn, um, the, the emergence, the arrival of. It's that Latin word, adventus, that invites us to understand that we're preparing to receive something. And the Advent season is the invitation to step into our literal calendar and say, hey, let's get ready for this thing that's about to happen, um, Jesus to be born. We joked in our community about all the different Advents we've had or experienced in our lives in different ways as the dawn of or the birth of, whether it was the advent of uh, the internet or the advent of social media or the advent of wearing boxy clothes again after we were all wearing tight clothes. And that's not cool, all right, because <laughs> now we have to shop all again. But um, it's like this whole thing that we see that we kind of transition throughout different times that our calendar year and our lives are marked by different moments when there's a birth of something new. Um, so as we prepare to kind of receive that, I'm going to pray. Then we'll do a little word study. We'll do a little talking about what some things and themes mean in this season, and then we'll get into it together and look at our story um, through the perspective of Mary and Joseph specifically. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for friends. I'm thankful for community and life and goodness that follows us all the days of our life. And I'm so thankful that um, there's space for us that we can create together um, to come and experience 
what you're doing um, in our lives, uh, in our communities, in our city, and what a joy it is to partake of it together, to share in this goodness. And Father, I just pray that in our time today that you would not only uh, receive the glory and the honor, but Father, that you would come and speak to us directly, that you would allow us to find ourselves within the story, that you would invite us clearly, and that we would step in boldly to receive the gift of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Cool. So um, I talk with my hands and I move around a lot, but bear with me. You're also allowed to talk back. But traditionally, the third week of Advent is known as the joy week, right? I was like, perfect. Let me get that one. Um, so I love um, talking about joy. I love uh, being able to rally around this thing. Um, and the candles, obviously the one that stands out. So that's cool. Um, but the, the traditionally, the third week of Advent is known as like the joy week. And it got me thinking about how some of us have um, shared belief and experiences about joy, but how seemingly we all have different definitions of joy. You know, it's one of those things like we'll sing about it, we'll talk about it, we'll I mean, write it on our postcards, or this time of year, it seems like everyone's talking about this joy, right? But then when you ask somebody, well, what does joy mean? There's always a different version of what that means or what that feels like, right? So uh, I, I decided to do a little etym uh, word study or check out the etymology of it all, and we're going to go through a couple different uh, languages here, and I will pronounce them all terribly except two. You'll see. Um, so in Hebrew, I can't make that sound with my mouth, so Ryan, yell it out real loud. How does that? Yeah, I can't do that. That sounds like spit, right? It's like, samach. <laughs> like, I, I don't do them. I, my, I roll them, right? Um, but that word uh, is, is the Hebrew word, and it's rooted in the feeling associated with God's deliverance, salvation, and winning battles specifically. Like, really? Joy? Winning battles, right? So in uh, the Greek, I immediately wanted to say kara, but that's C-H-A-R-A, -A, and you pronounce that, so it's chara, apparently, right? Somebody? All right, cool. Uh, chara, and it is predominantly rooted in New Testament language that signifies this, a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. So in Hebrew, it's that word. And in Greek, it's chara. And in Google, it is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. When you go to Google and you type in joy, that's what it means. All right, so it is a great, it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But what's interesting, in Spanish, it's gozo or alegría, right? And it's this idea that I thought about. I was like, if that chara sound was cara, I get it. Because joy shows up on your face. Joy is like, there's a harmony there for me where I was just like, cool. Knew I was Greek, right? Sorry, 23 and me, you were wrong. Um, but there's this feeling like I know what that feels like and looks like because this joy just has this way of exuding on your face. I immediately thought of the old coritos, gozo mi alma, like this idea of like this joy in my praise. I'm not going to sing it because it's not that good. Um, and I would have to do stadiums, not laps in here and not in the shape to do it. Um, but we understand that there's all this language around it. Um, and one of the things I thought was really interesting that in all these different languages, joy is not... Um, contingent on whether God is doing something for you or not, but whether or not you're in the right posture to receive joy. Um, and I think it's really important for us to understand that if, if joy means one thing in, uh, to the Hebrews, one thing to the Greeks, something else to, you know, us Latinos, something to Google, um, you know, in psychology, it registers as one of the basic emotions. But what's really interesting about it, um, I don't remember the wheel who made it, but I like the one that looks like a flower, the feelings wheel. Um, so, yeah, I think, plut, chick. Yeah, thank you. I nailed it. Thank you. Uh, so the plastic uh, wheel of emotions, when it looks like this little star that kind of has all these things, what's really interesting about it is that where joy is and where trust is, there's this connection point, and it's like when joy meets trust, it equals love. 
It's like, I can lindo. I like that. Together forever, joy and trust equals love. Love this. Um, but what we understand that as it gets harder, you know, this feelings wheel, it kind of starts at a surface level, uh, level. And as it gets more central to the core human stuff, right, the stuff that makes us alive, it starts to go from joy, you know, happiness and some of these other words we might have, and it goes into joy and ecstasy. But right at its core, right at its center, when joy is most bright or brilliant, it's the fulfillment of life. And I'm like, wow. That can feel like, if not the best invitation, to step into a place where it's not rooted in anything else that happens, the fulfillment of life, right here in the core of my bones. All right, so uh, these are all the different languages and words, but it's interesting to hear, I'm sure, but I want you to participate. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is to share with your neighbor, take a minute or two here, I'll call you back in, no worries, but share with your neighbor um, your definition of joy. Uh, have you ever experienced it? When is it the brightest? What does it feel like in your body? Like, what does that moment where you're like, that was joy, that's different. What does that feel like? I want you guys to share, uh, take a minute or two, and then I'll call you back and we'll get going. That's good. I, I enjoyed hearing that uh, the volume of the room, uh, that always makes me happy. That went up. I heard some people laugh. Hopefully, uh, um, that's always good. Those things are those feelings associated with it for sure. And so now as we step into the story, it's like, well, what, what does this have to do with Advent as we do this preparation of, like, what does this uh, what are we preparing? How do we make room for this? Uh, kind of where I wanted to start is this. That Advent gives us the time to recalibrate joy, not simply as a spontaneous and temporary emotion, but to be aware of what it's doing in our bodies, our lives, and how to make room for it to stay. Um, you know, as we find ourselves this week into the story, as we look at the Advent or the Christmas story, as we prepare to receive Jesus, we step into Mary and Joseph's perspective. I love that. Uh, we talk about it in our community. We read um, scripture often as a story, we want, we want to hear it. Like, who are we, right? Because we immediately go to the hero. We're like, yeah, we're the hero for sure. Or we're this person, or I'm obviously the devout, faithful person. And then every now and then when you're really, really honest with yourself, you're like, wait, I'm the harlot. Like, oh no. Or you're like, oh wait, I'm this one. And you're like, how did this happen? Like, how did this happen to me? And when I think about it from Mary and Joseph's perspective, um, there's some interesting stuff that it pulls on. As a father of two, like, it started to realize, like, and started pulling on some of my dad's strings a bit, and that's not hard to do because they're right on my sleeve. But it is this idea um, that it really started to pull a unique perspective. And what I love when I spoke to Ryan about where I was kind of leading is that Ryan and I both have this high priority on authenticity. I don't know if you've noticed that about us. Um, that's why we work. That's why it makes sense. That's why we're going to be together forever, okay? Um, because we have a high value on authenticity. It's like there's no code switching. There's no, you know, who do, I need, who do you need me to be? And we were wildly aware of that on our first encounter. If you guys don't remember, I slid into his DMs, all right? And my DM game was good, all right? I shot the shot and splashed, right? Because I was like, meet me for coffee, bro. And that happened, right? Um, and so then now we're here and we love each other and we're raising families and communities together. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, so we have a high value on authenticity. So I'm listening to his first two weeks of the message and I'm like, of course you would. You start in the dark. You start with going, hey, look at all the other stuff that's happening in the midst of the story. We're talking about hope and uh, talking about joy. We're talking about peace and love. And yet he's like, let's start off in the darkness. And I love this because I think sometimes, and I've even heard it said, particularly of my community and my people, um, not just tribe, but as being a brown person in this world, sometimes we understand it as minorities, or uh, that there's this idea that it's performative. Joy is a performance. 
And when someone said that to me in real life, I almost gave them a quick galleta. Wow. Um, but what I really almost did, I was like, hold on, what do you mean performative? It's not performative. It's that our, as a people group, when we're rooted in understanding our hurt, our oppression, the stuff that's happened to us, joy just comes very, very easy to us. Because we understand our stories and what it's cost us to be where we are now. So I'm like, oh, it's not performative. You just don't understand that we are very acquainted with the darkness. We're very acquainted with what joy has cost us to be produced. And what I love about the Christmas story, as crazy as it may sound, that high value and authenticity, I have to understand, that joy is not this performative thing. That Mary and Joseph model to us how to grow with expectation and anticipation. Because again, we step into the story, we immediately go, oh yeah, Christmas story, I get it, born in a major, nativity seat outside of my neighbor's lawn. Like this just happens and it's Christmas and it's here. But there's a backdrop to all the things happening. And I want to look at it first from the perspective of Joseph, um, who's experiencing this thing. So I want to read from you Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. You'll see TPT up there, the Passion Translation, right? So I'm going to read it to you in that way. But here it goes. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. His mother, Mary, had promised Joseph to be his wife. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Her fiance, Joseph, was a righteous man full of integrity, and he didn't want to disgrace her. But when he learned of her pregnancy, he secretly planned to break the engagement. While he was still debating with himself about what to do, he fell asleep and he had a supernatural dream. An angel from the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, descendant of David, don't hesitate to take Mary into your home as your wife because the power of the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb. Uh, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Savior for he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. This happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Listen, a virgin will be pregnant, she will give birth to a son, and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. You know, I'm so thankful for Joseph, because Joseph responds in a perfectly human and perfectly rational way. This is crazy. Like, I, I, think, you, I think sometimes we gloss over and we immediately give him, like, stepdad of the year awards. Um, but it's like, hey, step into the story for a second and hear what he's hearing. What I love about that is that he hears this thing that feels audacious. My fiance is pregnant and it wasn't me. And he has a very rational and human response to this kind of news, which is, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm out. I don't want this to lead or I don't want to go down this path. I want to believe you. All the things that he might inwardly have wrestled with, but he comes and it says literally as he was thinking to himself what he would do. Have you ever had some news and you start to rehearse what you might do? Yes, some of y'all do. Y'all rehearse arguments, don't lie. Like, you're like, and when he says this, I'm finna say that. And when she says that, I'm like, bam, receipts. And like, you start playing it out. Or there's even moments where you start having, like, you tell your spouse or your partner or your friend about what happened at work. And like, but did you say that? And, nah, but I was about to. Like, I thought about saying it, but I forgot in the moment because when I was rehearsing, I didn't time it right and it just wasn't flowing, right? It's like, there's these moments, like, he's thinking to himself, what I'm gonna do? And I just laugh, and again, this is me, you know, inflecting my own wild imagination into the moment. I'm like, what are the other options here? Like, because he was thinking to himself what to do. And he lands on this idea, like, listen, I, I'm a righteous person, he's a man of integrity, decides to say, man, I'm out. This is too crazy. I, I, how do I wrap my head around, what do I say? What will people say of us? There's all these things that go into it. And he lands on, man, I'm, 
I'm out. This is too crazy. And I do appreciate that there's this moment that a lot of us have felt this way. And I know it's funny to think of it as that when other people suggest something really audacious, it's funny to laugh at them. For like, you must not know who I am. Not doing that, right? But I wonder how many times in our own life with our, in regards to our relationship with the Lord that there's not moments where we feel as if God has called us to something, revealed something to us. And of course, our perfectly you know, buttoned up Sunday morning attire might say, yeah, it was easy. I just said yes to the Lord. Can I just take off some of that for you just real quick and help you? I have said no a lot of times. I have been like, nope, don't want to say yes to that. Don't want to do that. That feels crazy. Right, And then there's people, and depending on the tradition you grow up in, it's like, listen, I have a word for you. I'm like, no. The answer is no. <laughs> like, not doing it. You know, it's like there's all these moments where, you know, like there's all this uh, time where there's things in my own life where I'm thinking, you've called me to this. If you've called me to it, then why is it so hard? If you've called me to it, then why does it hurt this much? It's like, okay, I'm out here, joy and purpose. Hey, this sounds crazy. So quietly within myself, I resolve to, hey, God. This is crazy. I think I'm out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm out. I don't know if I can muster up the stuff. I can pull in that fortitude. What I love about what Ryan said in week one, I, I don't know if I can pull on that hard-earned hope. You know, years ago, oh, it's cool. We could say years ago now. Um, we've been together long enough for years ago, baby. Uh, so years ago, Ryan said something to me that always like stuck, and it was this idea of hope. Uh, he said uh, the kind of hope that gets dirt underneath its fingernails. And I thought about that because sometimes we think of joy and hope and all of these real Christmassy feelings. We're like, it's so easy, it's light, there's a levity to it. But hope shows up and has dirt underneath its fingernails. And sometimes joy shows up on your face even though inwardly you've said, no God, that's crazy, I'm out. Like sometimes you rehearse or you practice the joy, right? It's the idea of pulling it forward within our faith and tradition. I think it's easy to frame, you know, certain moments as like delusional optimism or even like hyper spirituality where it's like, well, God said it and that settles it in my heart. That's beautiful, but I go home in doubt. Like I get that that sounds like the right thing to say, but I go home and I'm just like, this is crazy. I don't know. What are we going to do? But you just keep showing up and you keep on allowing that thing to build up. And what I, I, the truth is, is that Joseph does the hard internal work of reconciling his internal world with what God has said. That emphasis is on him. That responsibility is some of us, sometimes we absolve ourselves from personal responsibility of having our internal world reflect a spiritual reality. And so we, do the, we, we absolve ourselves. We're like, hey, pastor, do it for me. Give me a sermon where I can tweet it and I can do this or that or I can write it in my journal and circle it and highlight and do all this stuff and then just be done with it after Sunday. Or we say, hey, let's, let's read this book together or God, if I'm praying to you, then why isn't this happening? Can I just invite you or can I pastor with a little bit of permission and just say to fam, you have to step into the story and take ownership of reconciling your internal world with what the word or what God has declared. And this is what Joseph has to do. This is just good spiritual practice. Though he says, man, I have conceived in my own mind. I've played this out and I'm out. This is hard. I don't want to embarrass Mary, but I'm done here. This is as far as I'm willing to go. And it isn't until the angel comes and speaks to him in his sleep. He says, don't be afraid. 
to take her on as your wife. Like, hey, like, he has to come and double down on what the word says, which is crazy because Joseph, as, you know, as, as a good Hebrew, he, he would have known that he said this in the scripture, right? He's being reminded through the prophets. The word is coming to remind him. But when he wakes up, and I think about this often because we jump forward really fast in the story, we assume he doubted for a moment and then everything was good. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if you have any experience with doubt, but it's not like one day you're like, man, I was doubting God, and man, I woke up in the morning and never doubted again in my life. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of us are going, I doubted yesterday, and oh God, tomorrow's doubt was worse than yesterday's doubt. Because I think to myself, Joseph, again, thinking of it as a dad, right? I'm just thinking of simple stuff, the very human stuff. He hears this, he gets encouraged, he resolves in himself, fine, I'll come in agreement with this, I'll reconcile all this stuff. But what's good spiritual practice? Good spiritual practice is this becomes a daily practice. Because early on, I don't know if you've ever been around uh, an expectant mother, but things change. And physical appearances change, and, and God forbid you'll be like, what's going on over there? Like, but having been with my wife and seeing this happens, like one moment we're like, man, we, you're so happy you're celebrating, you're pregnant, and the next thing you know, you're like, Things are changing, okay? Like, different ha there's different things that we're responding to now, right? I think that there's parts of Joseph's story as we step into this, is that what he's teaching us is that his humanity is not a detriment to being a faithful witness or a good steward, but it almost serves as a prerequisite of receiving Christ fully. He has to daily go. He has to daily overcome that doubt that would come over and over again. Like, this is real again, Mary's. Mary, Mary's belly is growing. Mary, Mary might have uh, wanted to eat something different today, and I don't know how to get it. Like, you know, that, that's just my story, maybe not Joseph's. I'm like, I don't know how to get this. Or where, where do I find this? Or, you know, there's different moments where Joseph is in real time having to recalibrate that, wow, things are changing, and this is becoming real. And maybe that doubt just starts to blossom or, or starts to sprout back up, and he has to, in that moment, have that spiritual fortitude to say, no, 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 no. But this is what God says. And I've, I've committed to seeing this to pass. It's like every time he sees Mary, he's confronted with those very first emotions that he had, which is, this is crazy, I'm out. And he has to continue to overcome those things. He chooses to align and agree with the word spoken, which is interesting because within our culture, we'll say this, it's like, you have to choose joy. And when we live in a world or when we live in this uh, place where joy is just something that uh, spontaneously happens, when happiness just grows so intense, there's nowhere else for it to go. But joy said, no, there's a choice to start at joy. There's a choice to start in this deep-rooted um, deep uh, spiritual truth that allows us to overcome all the stuff. And I'm always a sucker for where humanity gets validated, not villainized where being human is allowed within the scriptures because I think it'd be, uh, it'd be uh, remiss of me to not say this to you, a follower of the way, hey, it's, allow it's allowed to be human. You're allowed to have those kind of feelings. It's like Joseph, central to the story that we're telling, he's the one who's doubting in that moment. This is too much, too much. Um, there's someone else in the story I want to read it to you. It's from Mary's perspective, and I'll read you another passage um, from a different uh, writer in Luke. It says this, it says, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel went, uh, was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, we talked about him, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, 
Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you and you are anointed with great favor. Fam, check out Mary's response. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean to her. But the angel reassured her saying, do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. I love that Jesus' earthly parents are having this similar uh, reaction to the story of what's supposed to be the best news ever, right? And I love that Mary says, it deeply troubled her, you know, with the words of the angel. So I went back, I'm like, well, what did the angel say? The angel says, rejoice. This sounds good so far. Beloved young woman, thanks. Uh, for the Lord is with you and you are anointed with great favor. If I were to tell you that as you walked in, and I said, rejoice, beloved, for the Lord is with you and you are anointed with great favor. Our Christian tradition says, yes, and amen, brother, you too. You know, we have those moments that if I were to acknowledge or if I were to bless you in this way, most of us calibrate our lives to say, okay, fine, yes, amen. That's right, he has. I'm anointed, all right? Like there's this moment, there's great favor upon me. But what I love is that Mary, just like Joseph, has a very real, very honest response. And it says, she was troubled over the words that the angel shared and bewildered over what this may mean. Have you ever felt bewildered? I love that. I love the word. I love the idea. But it's not something we would just casually say like, hey, how you doing, bro? I'm bewildered. <laughs> like, we should use it more. <laughs> like, I just feel like the next time you ask me if I'm bewildered, I'm just bewildered right now, you know? Like, I, I just feel like it's such a, and, and, uh, it's such a big word. It, it, it encompasses so much because what it's saying is like, I literally can't. And I love that Mary is like, I just can't. I'm bewildered. I don't know what this means. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. Uh, it, what it literally says, Mary doesn't know what this is supposed to mean for her. Because fam, the angel's telling her, hey, by the way, you're gonna be pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Hello, like there's this moment there, right? It's like, oh, what does this all mean? And the angel, funny enough, she says, she, uh, the scripture says that she's troubled and bewildered. The angel goes and reassures her and says, don't be afraid, which also tells me there's a, a, a healthy amount of fear present as well. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but when you have this sensing that God is leading you in a certain way or saying something uh, to you that you're just like, that feels scary, that sounds scary, and I feel scared. Remember, I said that what joy, what Advent season does is it allows us to calibrate what's happening in our bodies. Can I just say thank you, God, for this body that allows me to understand that, hold on, I'm feeling something here. You know, and so many of us are good or have become good at spiritually bypassing things and not understanding that our body's telling us what's up. That there's moments that you don't have language because I'm bewildered, um, but there's moments where you don't find the right words, but you know something feels different. What I would encourage you to do is to find a practice that allows you to slow down long enough. Oh, wait, you mean like Advent? Like I wish you would find a practice long and uh, a practice that would gift you with slowing down long enough to go, what is that that I'm feeling? Because see, the angel seemed to know that Mary was feeling fear, so he reassured that, but Mary, you know, was just tr um, uh, troubled by it. You know, there's this, all these other things in Luke chapter one, staying there a little further down the road. This is what Jer um, Jerry, well, this is what Mary, Jerry's on my heart. Um, this is what Mary says later on. 
It says, my soul is ecstatic, overflowing with praises to God. My spirit bursts with joy over my um, life-giving God. For he set his tender gaze upon me, his lowly servant girl. And from here on, everyone will know that I have been favored and blessed. She launches in, it's called Mary's Song in your, uh, in your Bible. You know, it gets divided in there. It's like Mary's song, right? And Ryan tells her, like, Mary sings a sweet song. And she does. She says some amazing things. It's beautiful while she's there with her cousin and they're talking about it and it's all this beautiful stuff. But I can't help but to notice, at least in my Bible, that 20 verses earlier, she was really scared. And then 20 verses later, suddenly she's bursting with joy. I'm like, is this real? Remember, high value of authenticity. I'm going, hey, like, how does that happen? How does it go from this is scary to my heart is bursting with joy? And I wondered if just like Joseph, or as well, uh, the same way that Joseph had to, they do the hard personal work of reconciling within them their world, their internal worlds with what is God saying to them. That if they do this thing, that if Mary and Joseph are teaching us that joy grows and expands, not from a fleeting spike in a good mood or news, but in a steadfast commitment to seeing something to completion. That maybe it's just so hard for us to understand or even, you know, reconcile in our own lives that what Mary and Joseph are doing is the stuff that we are all called to do. It's to do the long process, the sometimes hard process of continuing to have our internal world reflect a spiritual reality. This is happening. This is going to happen. And there must be mornings where, you know, Joseph is just like, oh, God, I don't know. And there must be mornings where Mary's like, I'm over this. And yet she gets to the point where she sings about it. She says, man, my heart bursts with joy. You know, Mary, you know, I, I wrote it. I'm going to talk to you the way that I need to talk to myself sometimes. It's like Mary was pregnant, pregnant. Like, like, it wasn't just like, hey, she's, you know, get, gets this word, and a couple days later, you know, here comes this, you know, this baby's going to term, y'all. Like, Mary's going to be uh, pregnant for a little while, and uh, I think that this is uh, something that I think is the perfect picture of the Advent season, because you want to talk about how do you prepare room to receive uh, the Christ, to receive Jesus? Mary's literally physically doing it. She's creating and making room to inhabit all of the promises of God. You know, this might be the clearest picture of Advent preparation, of waiting for Jesus. She's literally carrying Jesus in her body. And note that when she's filled with fear, just like Joseph, it was acknowledged and not villainized. And when her song goes on to tell us about how she's bursting with joy, please remember that she has not received yet the prize or the reward. She's pregnant, so she's you're looking to the future when the time will come that I can receive my uh, reward. And I think that this is one of those things for us that sometimes we are holding on to a promise from God. And sometimes it gets really hard for us to do the hard work of understanding like, well, how do I get filled with joy? This thing isn't even happening yet. You ever had to take care of something really small? Let, 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 let's date myself here a little bit. You guys remember like Tamagotchi and Gigapets? Mine always died but I got two kids and they're alive, you know? I was like, they lied to me because I can clearly do this because my kids are fine. And one of them, healthy as an ox, I'll tell you what, he's bigger than most of the other six and seven years old. He's three, okay? He's a very large, he's a very large, girthy little kid, all right? 
And big bro, he can hold it down. And I'm like, Gigapets and Tamagotchi lied to me, or Nanopets or whatever else they are. And the other day, one of our, our best friend's daughters showed up and she had one. She's like, do you even know what this is? I'm like, I raised them dinosaurs before you even knew what they were. Okay, like I had a crocodile, I had all these things. But then, I, you know, I don't know why they gave us the little baby ones, because it was so sad to me. They're like, your baby's crying. I'm like, why is it always crying? Feed it. And then you feed it too much and it keeps crying. And isn't that kind of like parenting? You're like, what do you do? I always laugh. Parents, I mean, God bless you, you guys know it. Sometimes we get really great parenting advice. And sometimes we get parenting advice that doesn't really hit, but we're like, fine, whatever, we'll, we'll accept it. But the truth is, is that now as a parent, what I know, we're all making it up. We are all making it up, okay? We're just trying our best. And there's those moments where I'm like thinking to myself, like, did he just eat chicken nuggets and french fries again? Like, is that all he consumes? Or you think about it, you're like, I'm hungry. You're like, yeah, you know who else is hungry? Your son who has the, oh my God. Like, you know, there's moments where it's like you, okay, yeah, you judge me if you'd like. There's been moments where it's like, man, like you come back to. And I love that Mary and Joseph, that this Christ story, that the Christmas story, the Advent is rooted in two parents trying to figure it out. I can tell you that there's been different times in my life where I'm looking at my kids and I'm going, man, I think I know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm doubting that I'm the right one for this. You know, and I, I, and I think that there's moments that even as Mary's literally growing with the promise, that there has to be moments that she's going, am I even doing this right? Am I doing this right? What if I mess up? Like, like maybe it's just me, this is, again, the way my brain works. I'm thinking, what if I do something wrong and like little baby Jesus is a little preemie and that he's not the perfect eight, hour, or eight pound baby in the manger that everyone has in the nativity scene? Like, what am I doing this right? Because holding the promise requires a lot of us. It requires our whole body to be in alignment with what God said. You know, and kind of bringing this to a close and kind of bowing this up, I, I said I would share this story, and I, I've shared it a couple times, but you know, it's, it's another parenting riff. Because I feel like Mary and Joseph are just moms and dads trying to figure it out. They're just moms and dads, they're a mom and dad just trying to make room for this. And I think about the different times because it is beautiful, you know, the different times in the scripture where it's just like, hey, Jesus bore a cross for the, you know, the joy set before him. Or, you know, we hear in Nehemiah that the scripture tells us that um, to come and to rejoice, to eat good food and celebrate with holiday drinks and to do this stuff because the Lord of the, or the joy of the Lord is your strength. We'll say that. Some of us have gone, um, be honest, you've gone to Hobby Lobby and you put it somewhere in your house, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, it's somewhere in your house when you walk in or in some, and you're just like, Hobby Lobby, got it, got it. Red tag, cool. You know, it's like, you know when it was there. Did you use a coupon? You went to Joanne's, 40%, you look it up online. Like, there's those things that we say because it's the right thing to say, right? But I just want to frame it in this way for a second, because even in the story of Nehemiah, it's coming in chapter 8 when this is said, and people literally are going, it says right after, the joy of the Lord is your strength, that the Levites had to calm everyone down. Because the idea that Nehemiah would suggest to go and eat and drink and be happy, everyone was upset about it. Because the backdrop of what is happening right where birth is supposed to, you know, advent or emerge or be birth, is that they just had to reconstruct their city. They literally had to fight with one hand, they're building the walls, the other hand, they're ready for war. They're seeing their entire city devastated and broken and ransacked. And at the end, Nehemiah's like, rejoice, go home and eat, celebrate, because things are going to be really good. No, 
Things don't feel good yet. They don't look good yet. And yet somehow joy still shows up. And I talked about this last story of uh, being in the delivery room with my wife for uh, our first line. I, I don't know about you guys, if you've been there either with friends, spouse, sister, whoever you've been, if you've ever been in the delivery room, none of us feel like we belong. Let's be real. Like, I, I was so, I didn't know what to do. I had the essential oils going because, hello, you're supposed to. Um, so I got the essential oils going. I got the music. I made a playlist. None of it was hitting that day. She didn't want to hear any of it. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I got the little yoga ball ready. You want to bounce, boo? You want to, you want to bounce on the ball? Get, get ready. You want to take a walk? What do you want to do? You hungry? She's like, shut up. I'm like, está bien, I'll do that. Um, I can do that, but I really can't because I never know how to shut up. So I'm like, oh, and so we're having this moment in the delivery room. Now, mind you, it was, a, it was an unexpected way. We didn't know what we were doing. We went in for our checkup. She was 38 weeks, so she's going in. She's at the weekly checkup point, so she goes in. And as she steps in, the doctor says, hey, you know, don't freak out or anything like that. But they admitted her into the hospital. And so I get the call from work, and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm, she's freaking out, of course. And she's like, I'm going to the hospital. I'm like, why, what, what happened? Why are we in the hospital? He's like, I don't know. And so Lion was, uh, was low, in, or Christina was low in amniotic fluid, so they were concerned about what was going on. And so they was like, hey, you got to get the baby there. And just so you know, things might not go according to plan because like many of us, or like maybe some of you, depending on your birth plan, my wife had an idea of how this is going to go. And my wife is a high-functioning, high-capacity Enneagram 3, okay? And she had a plan. And this baby was going to be born this way, and the baby was going to have, all of the things were going to happen a certain way, and that was it, period, point blank. And so now we're being sent in, and we go into the delivery room, and we get sent there, and we're like, we'll go really slow, we promise. We're going to try to induce labor, but we'll go slow. All the stuff that you hear, and I'm just freaking out. I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, God, you said, and I thought, and we promised, and we prayed. You saw me. You saw the pictures. I prayed for the belly, and, you know, I'll be, I, I sing scripture over him, and, I, like, I'm, I'm talking to this baby. The way, why is he being born the way I thought he was going to be born? And there's moments where we had to reconcile within us that sometimes things don't go according to plan, and sometimes things don't happen. And right there in the delivery room, you know, at three days later, right, as Lion finally decides because Christina says, no, you're out, right? And we're having this moment where we're about to have this baby. I tell this story, and it's always funny because if she was here, she would say, it wasn't like that. It was like that. <laughs> she ain't here to defend herself, so let me lie a little bit more. It was like that. I'm there in the room, and everything's happening. Baby's coming. And there's this hustle and this bustle, and the nurses are looking at me like, get out the way, bro. Like, and then my mom's like, get out of the way, stupid. And I'm like, I, I, what do I do? Like, do I catch the baby? Like, you're not delivering the baby. Get out of the way. I'm like, what do I do? And I'm there, and I'm trying to do this stuff. I'm like, I'll I, I, I just I'll stay with Christina. And I go, and I hold her hand. And there's like this real, for me, this like really holy moment. And I'm looking at her, and I'm just like getting emotional. I'm staring into her eyes and really the side of her face because she don't want to look at me. And I'm like. I'm telling her, I, said, I love you. And she looks over at me, and then we lock eyes. I'm like, this is it. This is our, this is our movie moment. And the camera's going to zoom in. And I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me. And we're going to say, you want to do this again? And, right? Or, hey, no one else I'd rather do this with. And I tell her, I look right in the eyes. Bro, I look her in the eye. I'm like, you're so beautiful to me right now. And she says, shut up. <laughs> Don't look at me. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> bien, all right. So anyone else need help? You guys need help on this end? Like, I didn't know what to do. There was this very real moment. She's like, don't look at me. 
right? And I just thought to myself, even if she didn't want to hear it, it really was the most beautiful she's ever been to me. Like, we made a baby. Your body, fought. this is crazy. She wasn't trying to hear that. Was not trying to hear that. And I just thought to myself how often in our own moments, how obviously it pales in comparison to a delivery room, maybe, but for some, there's those moments in our lives where we're like, man, something's forming in me. Don't look at me. Because this joy is costing me something. I get it, because what, what's the language we use at childbirth, right? We use that language that, oh, you're a little bundle of joy. Listen, in that moment, I don't think joy was on my mind. Like, Survival was, um, trying to make it through the day was, but joy was not on my mind, but this bundle of joy, it's like you understand that, it's like, oh, this formation, this thing that has to take root in you, this thing that has to be built in you, just like joy, it's like, man, it takes some time. But man, when she held Lion, got the picture in my phone, that first moment, I don't know if for some people they go, that doesn't look, remember we were talking about Charo or Kara, I don't know if Kara says joy, you weren't in the room to know. You weren't in that hospital for the five days or the three days that we were trying to do something. And it was like right when she was like, oh, there it goes. It made sense. Fam, I want to encourage the person in the worship team to come on up. I want to encourage the person who just feels like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing that I want us to encourage that what the Advent season literally does is give us permission to step into the story and go, maybe you're just on your first trimester, fam. Maybe you're in the second or third. Maybe you're in the delivery room. I don't know what it looks like, but maybe this thing is just starting to come into fruition, but to stay the course. That sometimes if, if hope has to be hard-earned with, you know, dirt underneath its fingernails, then maybe joy, like the scripture says, understands that weeping first endured through the night that somehow this whole thing comes together, that weeping enduring from the night does not disqualify joy coming in the morning. It just makes joy that much more bright. It just makes joy. You know, I always talk about because Inside Out gave us, and Pixar gave us a literal depiction. It's like, hey, we think that joy and sadness have to be apart, but it's not until they're together in the same room, playing nice together, that one can shine as brightly as it should. It's owning the story. It's understanding, hey, like, I am, I am growing with anticipation and expectation. I am wrestling and dealing with, even in my own body, the completion of the promise God has brought to me. And maybe right now it feels really hard. But joy is coming in the morning. That just soon enough, the scripture says that even in, uh, as Jesus uh, prays it over his father, that, man, may my joy be complete in you. May you experience it fully. So I think to myself, I'm like, have I experienced joy and just not fully? I want to get to that full, just even as Mary and Joseph, that full term kind of joy. That bundle of joy, that moment that we understand that everything that's happened till now brought us here, and that's okay. We're going to step into a time of worship, and then I'll pray for you as we release you. But I just pray that as you think on maybe what is growing inside of you, whether that's the doubt that needs to be reconciled to a spiritual reality, whether that's with the frustration or the misunderstanding, what's going on, or maybe you're like Joseph who's going, this is crazy, I'm out. As crazy as it may sound, I pray that you receive the encouragement, that you receive the, 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 the push right now and in a time of worship to say, all right, I'll stay. I'm in. I'm not done yet. Let's have some worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. 
We hope you join us again soon.